Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is a podcast from Minute Media. This is a CW Spiral, a podcast run by two Barchies and a Bughead. We're your hosts, Sabrina Reed, Michael Patterson, and Reed Gowden. Bringing you history about the network, the latest news, and in-depth spoiler-filled discussions of some of our favorite shows on the CW. Okay, so it is the 15th anniversary of our parent company, Fansided. We're very happy about that, and we're celebrating it. Um, so we thought, you know what would be fun? Since we've got the, the future on our minds, dividing the future of the CW. But first, we have to take a look at the past to see, talk about some of the mistakes they've made and some of the times they've done in terms of marketing. Yes, we know the CW isn't that great at promotion, but perhaps in a few years they will be. But looking back, how do y'all feel about some of the posters? That we've I think seen? that's I think that's wishful thinking. No, <laughs> <laughs> that in the future they get better. I mean, let's hope. Cross our fingers. Um, oh my god, crossing. I think uh it's gotten a little bit more graphic design is my passion and a little less <laughs> like <laughs> like glitz and glamour and let's sell this show um i don't know what do you guys think i agree that it's graphic design is for some of the shows well the vast majority of the shows graphic design is their passion <laughs> I feel like every time there's a new poster for one of their major shows announced, the biggest dialogue isn't, oh, the show's returning when, or oh, uh, look, it's my favorite actor. It's who designed this poster. And it's it's sad that it's come to that. And I feel like not all of them warrant that kind of criticism, but like to ignore that that is the trend that is happening every time there's a new like poster or like banner or like, some kind of marketing released, we can't really overlook that. I will say I saw a Legends of Tomorrow poster on Twitter. I think you tweeted it, Michael, and it was gorgeous, but it was still, it was just like, it was like the Avengers. They're like, everyone's mm-hmm. doing like the floating heads in space or over a city. And it's like, we need some new material. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that might be the Legends one you were talking about. I agree. The aesthetic is very uh, nice on the eyes. But uh, prob- it's probably one of their least adventurous posters because, like we said, it's the floating heads. It's very Avengers. Um, I mean, I can overlook that show because, like, it's only done, like, one or two of them, six seasons in it. Most of their other posters are glorious. And I'm sure we can talk about that shortly when we're talking about the positives. But, yes, I feel like all of the shows at some point in time have to do floating heads. And it's getting like we've seen this before. <laughs> It has, and I'm not, like, you get very excited for, like, oh, what is the new season poster going to be? And then they give us, like, what Riverdale gave us for, the season season five one, I think, is the most egregious, because it's them, their heads floating above Pops, and for some reason, like, Archie's head is so much bigger than everybody else's, and it's like, why did you do KJ like that? <laughs> it was not necessary. They always do that. It's like, their heads are bigger as... Uh, if they're important, their head's huge, and as they <laughs> get less important, their head's smaller. 
<laughs> the Riverdale season six poster, which we've talked about before, I think is beautiful. The candle and the red and it's very um, one of their most minimalist by way of maximalism. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that I think that's one that ultimately works. I'm not saying you should cut out the cast in every photo shoot, but I feel like that's when the Riverdale example is a good one to use because one of the reasons the season five one, as aesthetically nice as the colours were in it, because Riverdale's colours are always really strong, there were too many heads in that photo because, as you said, they had to keep getting smaller and the less important characters were like really small and then obviously you had all this wasted space because Archie's head had to be huge like that was kind of unnecessary whereas with the uh, the floating heads and the candle smoke one they only chose five characters five characters that was relevant to that story and I feel like that's a nice interesting way of making floating heads look different rather than like maximizing the clearly the lead character and making every other character feel less important well to be fair as well they did have the two posters so there's like riverdale one was simply just a jagged road um Mm -hmm. which i mean that one was it gave me smallville vibes but that might have just been the overuse of yellow but it tells you nothing it tells you nothing (laughs) but the tree one told you something the one um that was about cheryl but the uh was half the tree was um dead and the other half was like a blooming maple or something that was nice Mm -hmm. i just i want to they tried like i mean it wasn't the best no i mean but nothing can really compare to the legends of tomorrow art Art nouveau one for their 20s um i think that's the 20s uh poster that was really cool i don't think i've seen a cw like take its time in that way with a poster in quite some time i Sorry, Reed, were you going to say something? Oh, no, you go, you go, because it's a separate thought. It's a separate thought. <laughs> um, Legends of Tomorrow is always a good example uh, because they have so many cast members to begin with. So how do you make that fresh? How do you make that different? And that with that's that we can always overlook if they decide to do floating heads six seasons in. And that's only the season secondary poster. The primary poster was the one of them on the VHS cassette, which was really, really cool. Um, I feel like Legends of Tomorrow is a good example because Every time there's a new poster released, it starts the conversation. You always see on Twitter those tile four photos. Can we please appreciate the effort that goes into the Legends photos? And they always release a primary poster and a secondary poster. The primary one of them in the 1920s, it was like artwork, like drawn on artwork. And it was like a really pale color. That was genius. But then I actually prefer the more realistic secondary poster, which has them in all like the golden tiles. It really matches that whole like art deco 1920s kind of look they were going for. And so the fact that they can put that much effort into not just one, but two and make them look unique. I think that's probably the show I would always co- go to when it goes to how, how do you how do you keep it fresh? The show has been on for seven seasons, hopefully it. And I think there's they always have two posters every season and they're original, they're innovative, they're fresh. And some of the shows that haven't been on that long struggle with that, whether it's the Flash trying to make Team Flash fit into every single poster, which is totally unnecessary, or like downsizing Barry's head to big size his body. The proportions are off. The posters are off. Legends is a perfect example of how to do it right. And they keep nailing it. So which is one of the main reasons I want an eighth season to see how they do the two photos for season eight. But like, be more like Legends. This is a good segue because I can make a case for them not doing ensemble cover or key art like um, 11 years. Wow. 11 years ago now, part of Dixie's first season poster is a photo. It's still like it's it's giving you like green screen realness. It's not like like Rachel Wilson was not sitting in an Alabama meadow. 
but she's sitting like in her new town, beautiful sunlit Alabama landscape. But she's sitting on a stack of suitcases. Her stethoscope is a heart. She's got her hand on her hand, her head on her hand. You know, she's like unsure about her future. And it tells you a story. And I know that's purposeful because it was selling the first season of a new show. And then after that, they really got like into Photoshop, which we won't we won't get go there for Heart of Dixie. Only positive vibes for Heart of Dixie. But they don't really do that anymore as we um, see with Tom Swift. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so just to touch on heart, that Heart of this Dixie poster real quick, it was really, really gorgeous. Effective, um, right? Effective. And if I did you in, it was very warm because it was, it was like lots of yellows and greens. Like you wanted to know what the show was about. Tom Swift, however, um, is it the space race? Is it all <laughs> bunch of gadgets? I'm like, why is this poor man in front of not only a, like a, a, a hot rod, but also um, a private jet? And there's a rocket going up in the background. Not, and it's super red in his the typography looks like I wish you knew the name of the font face, but it's the one that everyone uses when they're talking about tech or computers. And I wish they would stop. Retweet. <laughs> <laughs> I, the, the Heart of Dixie and Tom Swift posters are a good comparison because while the Heart of Dixie one, of course, the colors are wonderful, but it's like totally a deal of less is more. And then you look at the Tom Swift poster and I'm like, what is the show about? There is far too much going on in that image. I don't know. Like, is it, it is a science fiction show? Is it a racing show? Is it a superhero show? I would not look at that. I would look at that and be intrigued, but maybe not for the right reasons. I'm hoping that this is just like a placeholder and they're going to do the real rollout <laughs> with the real logo. <laughs> and this is just like filler, but it's not great. It's not great. I just, I also think back to, I have to shout out 90210. Um, when the CW was launching the reboot, the first poster of it was an overhead aerial shot of the cast in a pool, but 90210 was the pools, like the numbers, they were each a pool and it was just so creative. Again, it's complete Photoshop because they were all one, not in the same pool or even in a pool and two those pools didn't exist, but it's still like such a creative thing that it it tells you something about the show. Like this is going to be fun. It's going to be bright colors. It's going to be maybe a little sexy. I don't know. <laughs> See what we need is like more creativity um, and not to go back to, cause the, the worry is like, okay, you don't like what we're doing now. Let's go back to what we were doing with Gossip Girl and the Vampire Diaries where we were in beautiful dresses at um, beautiful sets and not much was going on. We were just draped artfully over, um, what is it? over chases over beds over chairs like any type of furniture that you could like pout and lean on they had it in the room and I just don't want to go back to that either like <laughs> just please more creativity at least they were the doing group department. shots and you could they tell were. like they were maybe in the same room <laughs> I, I was going to say they were draped over each other as well the uh there was I, even then it did feel like there was more creativity probably because you had more people in the room than the same old green screen one shots. But I feel like there's a happy medium in there somewhere. Take the best of both eras and combine them because that's the only way you can really evolve. Don't, don't do something completely different like Tom Swift where you haven't a clue what's actually happening in the photo, but like 
take the best of what the show is dead and move forward with it. Do you guys remember that WB promo video from like 2000 where they had the every person from every cast in the same club, they were just dancing yes. to that song, yes. Oh, What a Night. And they had the cast intermingling. Like they, no one does that anymore because no one's concerned with like network branding. It's all like, here's where you can watch this show on streaming afterward. It's not like, they're not trying to keep us on the network. <laughs> they're not trying mm. to give us any cohesion. They're trying to get numbers, unfortunately. But ugh, if we could only have like, Liz Gillies making eyes at I don't know who's somebody else from a different show you know what I mean <laughs> yeah no it'd be so much fun I, I would love for them to do something like that again I don't know what the setting would be because that whole club vibe was really like late 90s early 2000s mm. um but just to have like DCTV and then the other dramas interacting with one another um for instance, what if Clark Kent threw Spencer James a football? Like, oh, that would be fun. That just That's broke a good... my heart. <laughs> <laughs> That's a crossover. They, they, they used to be a little more creative. Um, was it 2017? I think they did that, like, cast shoot in, like, a dark alleyway. And, like, you'd see the Riverdale cast standing around the corner while Arrow's Black Siren walked into the, into the wind and her hair blew everywhere. And they'd have Barry from The Flash running in slow motion. Like they never crossed paths with each other, but clearly all the shoots were done in that same alleyway and it had the whole like CW dirty defy kind of look about it. And I just feel like ever since in recent years, they've gone for that new red color scheme. They've put an awful lot of look new or work into the new look, but like those casts are their way and don't cross them over if you don't want to, if COVID restrictions won't allow that, but at least like get them all together to fill them a new promo like that. Like what kind of image are you trying to put out there? Not just these shows that don't, aren't interlinked in the slightest the cw is a brand and i feel like with those two promos we talked about you could really build on that in the future i think the image they're trying to put out there yeah but i think the image they're putting out there is watching the cw app the next day (laughs) but then you could still do a promo like that though like the cast to tell us that i know i don't know guys (sighs) i'm not as optimistic as you (laughs) well because you're keeping your expectations low and it's exactly what should be happening we love the cw but promo is not what they do like so but we will promote you like just y'all please (laughs) we have ideas (laughs) (laughs) exactly okay so speaking of like promoting things we have to move to casting news which you know it's light which is good for us um, in terms of like not being bombarded by like who was coming to the pilots who are coming to the new shows. Um, but so we'll start with legacies. Luke Mitchell will play Ken, a God who was once considered to be the most powerful being in the world until hope came along and took the title. Now he's out to reclaim the position and take her down. And actually as he'll be on, um, Thursday's episode, but you're getting this episode on Monday for us. But anyway, that's when he will arrive. You know, I like that casting. I remember uh, Luke from the Tomorrow People. I remember him. This is a reference maybe not many people will understand. I remember him from Australian Soap Neighbors um, when he played Chris Knight. um, And he was a good villain in that. Um, so I, I, every time I see him pop up on the CW, there's a lot of Australian stars that make their way to the CW and they do very well there. So 
fair play to him. The thing that really strikes strikes me about that description is, wow, the Vampire Diaries universe has changed since the last time I watched it. Um, uh, gods, uh, most powerful beings in the world. What am I missing? Um, so I, I go fair play to him. I can't wait to see what he does. I think I need to check out Legacies. Wasn't he in The Republic of Sarah as well? That mm-hmm. show that would... I believe so. Yeah. lasted one season. R.I.P. <laughs> um, but yeah, I didn't know that they were gods in the... It sounds more like a Percy Jackson description. <laughs> it does. It really does. <laughs> so maybe we should be checking out Legacies. All I remember is there's some type of hybrid war going on and in, in one of these young ladies. I'm assuming that's Hope, who's the tribrid. I've lost the thread of tri-brid? the vampire. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, right? I think it's like werewolf, <laughs> vampire, and witch. I could be wrong about the third designation. It sounds like Buffy's nightmare is what that <laughs> sounds like. <laughs> Most shows sound strange out of context, but legacy sounds strange out of context to a Vampire Diaries fan because I know this universe and yet I know nothing about legacies. So <laughs> <laughs> things have evolved beyond me and... I kind of feel like I want to get caught up now. Same. They've, oh, I'm going to make the joke anyway. They've leveled up, Michael. <laughs> oh, they leveled up. No, they didn't. And no, I couldn't help myself. I feel like a flash rider now. <laughs> I got okay. that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey. Um, so, and then Gotham Knights, uh, which, I mean, they've been steadily trickling out news for us. Well, I guess trickling isn't the word because it's been a lot of news for Gotham Knights. Um, but Demetria McKinney uh, is going to play Ada Monroe, who's a bookstore owner with an interest in the occult. And she's described as studious and sharp. I know Demetria from Motherland Fort Salem, which has their final season, I believe, this year. Um, so it's good to know that she'll have another Supernatural-based uh, project coming along. Yes, and that sounds really interesting to me. Um, I like it when Gotham stuff deals more in like the city life because a lot of these shows where they get stuck in the procedural nature and stuff and you don't always see the characters that live in the city other than the characters you're familiar with. So I like the idea that uh, we have like a bookstore owner and of course it's Gotham City, no one's normal. So I'm interested to see what the character has. They're doing an awful lot of more original kind of stuff now. I know we've got our comic book characters in there, but I'm kind of interested to see where they go with this because like a lot of the character descriptions are jarring in that, you know, these big worldly heroes, you expect them to show up and then you have more of the like small town kind of characters, but with a hint of Gotham as well. So I'm kind of, I'm looking forward to seeing what this character adds to the show. Not to make another Buffy reference, but to make another Buffy reference. Mm-hmm. She's wait, giving me Giles. Wait, wait. <laughs> uh, I think I messed up on the outline. This might be the Winchesters. Oh, is that? What? It might be. Yeah. <laughs> I just read a Winchester's casting post um, like yesterday or something. And I'm like, wait a second. Wait a second. Why isn't this clutching for me? It is the Winchester's. Okay. Start again. Sabrina. Start again. <laughs> <laughs> both, are, both of them are Winchester? No, no, no. Um, I, actually, you know what? Let's just double check. <laughs> no, I'm no. Sure this, this is the bland character. Uh, the, the Gotham <laughs> okay, wait. I'm gonna. Okay, sure. She's given me Giles. She's gonna be the one they turn to when they're like, "We need help with this monster." And she's like, "I've got the perfect book for you." And then they're all crowded mm. around a an old dusty book, and they're like, "Look at this monster." 
True. Do they do that on Supernatural? <laughs> they did in the later seasons, yes. They had their own like underground bunker where they could have like a book of the occult. And every time something popped up, of course, it was listed in the book. There's always a bunker. There always is. I can't even fix the thing. Anyway, <laughs> Demetria is going to be on the Winchesters. Sorry to Demetria. <laughs> I know. Love you know. Yes, it's still a bag, though, which is not the bag I thought she had. Um, uh, let's see. We do have now, Gotham Knights casting news, though. We yes. do. <laughs> this is not Y'all false advertising. Over. We can promise this. Yeah, Michael, you do this one because I don't know who this man is. Okay, we have... Rayhart Adams, I hope I pronounced that right, as Brody, confident in his looks and in his mind. Brody is charismatic but entitled. It's the kind of combination that spells both insecurity and, and a tendency towards jealousy. Now that screams villainous to me. Um, it's not the most original casting description. Um, I, I feel like this character, this will be down to the performance to stand out. So I hope this, the character does take us by surprise. I don't know what to expect even though everything listed there tells me exactly what to expect. I'm hoping to be surprised by the character. Um, Nothing in Gotham ever spells heroic from these casting descriptions, and this doesn't spell heroic to me. So I can see this character being like a villain, but not a villain. Watch them be the big bad of the season. It may be totally wrong, but we'll say I could definitely see this character being something of like a a thorn in the good, in the hero side without actually being a fully blown villain. Maybe they will be that, dark, traumatic, troubled character that ultimately evolves into a villain later down the line. Is he, um, do we know if he's a new character or if he's from the comics? I think he's an original character. I don't remember. I'm not sure unless Brody references something I'm not aware of. I think he's an original character. Hmm. So they can, have, they can play around with that, of course. Yeah, they totally can. I'm sorry. I'm still shook. Um, <laughs> and... What, what did we describe him as, Michael? Was it the bland man? Yes. Um, it's not, it's not, it, it, they're not going to be saying it's the Batman. They'll be saying it's the bland man. Um, <laughs> I feel like, I hope they surprise me. I mean, that casting description doesn't sound or completely original, but like if the performance is great, if the story is great, I hope they surprise us. I think, I think I will say one thing. I do think with a casting description like this, it has the potential to surprise me. And I hope that's exactly what they do because a lot of the time I'm wrong and I'll happily admit it. And I hope this is one of them because I love Gotham Knights and I want it to succeed. I hope that for you too. I <laughs> hope so you. too. He also probably will be the enemy of the lead. Um, mm. It would not be surprised if he says something out the way at a gala um, and then those two have words over champagne. So, oh, I could see that. I could see that. That's it. Yeah, I could see them being like a, an, an antagonist without being a villain and then slowly maybe evolve into either the big bad or surprises and turn into a hero. I don't know. I feel like with a project like this, it's open. it can be open season on comic book characters. And I hope it's in a more original, unexpected route that it takes and surprises us all. I hope so too. Uh, but that is it for casting news. Again, Demetra Kinney is on the Winchesters as Ada Monroe. <laughs> <laughs> like, Can't wait. Yes, can't wait. Um, th- well, we're going to be waiting in April, though, when it comes to preemptions and hiatuses. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, All-American and All-American Homecoming at least return when our pod drops. But they they were off for a week. And then The Flash and Kung Fu were preempted on Wednesday, April 20th. And they won't come back until April 27th. And then I'm so sorry, Reed, but Dynasty and Charmed will be preempted on Friday, April 22nd. And won't have a new episode until April 29th. I'm and taking that one personally. 
<laughs> and now it's my um, turn. Yes. <laughs> and Superman and Lois and Naomi are off until Tuesday, April 26th. If it's if I sound bitter, I am. But you know, oh, I get brutal. it. It's brutal. It's awful. It's very awful. I know it's filming delays. I get that. You know, we're protecting our cast and our crew. But as a fan, you're like, I understand, but the irrational part of me is sad and upset. I get it. Yeah, I get it. I don't like it though. <laughs> yeah. I kind of felt like, of course, you would never know anything about what to expect from this modern world we live in these days. But I fe- figured after that happened with season one, so unexpectedly, not long after it premiered, that it wouldn't happen with season two. And it certainly doesn't feel like unexpected by any means because they've been planning these hiatus as it as it when they come. But it is quite shocking that both shows go off for such a long period of time, both Superman and Lois and Naomi, I'm talking about. And they just came back from a two-week hiatus. And that wasn't the only hiatus they had in between that. So it's been very starty-stoppy for Superman at most, just like it was last season. I think it's starting to show in the ratings because they are falling a little bit because people just don't know when it's on. Not worried about the show in the slightest, but it just, it's unfortunate. I understand that. I'll take it and I'll be tuning in when it's back on. But I do understand the fans' frustration that I don't remember a show that's been moved around as much as this in recent memory. I kind of wish Superman and Lois was one of the CW shows that they would just film all at once and drop all at once, like Roswell and In the Dark. Mm-hmm. Because I, the starts and stops is just not working for me because I don't remember what happens one week to the next. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Superman at Lois is one of those unique shows, kind of like Stargirl, and that I know it looks like a movie and then it's filmed like a movie, but it's also, it's one of those shows that's less episodic in nature. So it doesn't need the whole network TV rota on this week, off this week, on this week, off this week. Whereas it, a movie like, or a show like that with a more movie-like quality would work in like a streaming release, like, 13, release all episodes for 13 weeks weekly so i understand that superman at lois is the cw's heavyweight at the moment and that they're using it as their champion to lead lead the schedules but i could see it working very well as a summer show that just runs for 13 uninterrupted weeks rather than this whole starting and stopping thing i get why network shows have to do that but because superman at lois is shorter movie like in quality and less episodic it's not working for it putting it on and taking it off on a weekly basis it's stopping the momentum mm-hmm Especially after um, the episode we we came from, we came off of. Though I will put a pin in that conversation because we will be talking about it later. But I'm like, we gotta wait three weeks for Bizarre World. Okay, sure, we'll wait. Um, right. mm. Genius marketing, but we don't need all these hiatuses. <laughs> True. No, that's not the only thing we're waiting for. We're still waiting for renewal news, which has us wondering about like the CW's future, at least it's near future, and which shows will be around. We're guessing upfronts for the last drop, correct? Yeah, I could see them announcing it either the week before upfronts, because I'm pretty sure the business end of the decision making is probably starting to get done now, because I know the casts and the crews and the writers may not know the decisions of their futures just yet. But at the end of the day, Upfronts is just over a month away. The network will usually announces its schedule at that point, not what shows come back or whatnot. Some of the maybe leftovers that are left of the summer might get announced or whatnot. But I feel like if they're going to start making announcements for their primary schedule, we need to know what those shows are going to be before Upfronts. So I could see them announcing it two, three weeks maybe, because at the end of the day, Upfronts is four or five weeks away. And 
fair enough if they want to hold it off until then but the casts and the crews need to know and i feel like once that information starts finding its way out which shows are coming back which shows aren't we'll start hearing about it as well so upfront is a last ditch effort here as for they can't go past that but it would be nice and decent to let everyone know a week or two beforehand at the latest i hope it's sooner than later because i can't spiritually handle any more like blind items and like rumors <laughs> and chatter like <laughs> it's painful <laughs> i need to know what's happening and i do think we're not going to get all of them i don't think by upfronts like especially the ones that will be airing like star girl i didn't forget her this time roswell <laughs> and in the dark i feel like they'll hold off on renewing those or maybe i'm completely off base and they will but they're being so cagey that i'm not expecting much mm understandable um because we went the has me wondering like okay what are this what's the decision making process for the last round of renewals considering um when they renewed the the first round it was all about digital strategy and tent poles and how they want to the direction they see the cw moving forward in which was still surprisingly riverdale despite you know the ratings not being hot um and Superman Allo was the Flash, Walker, Kung Fu, like Nancy Drew was the wild card, but we see the vision. So with everything else, okay, why are we, why are we waiting? I get probably waiting until May, at least when it comes to how they're, that, that shows on hiatus for April. Um, I don't know if you already want to um, poke the hornet's nest while fans are already in their films about their shows being off. Um but I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm hoping it is like Michael, you're right. That it is before upfronts, at least by a week or two. So people can prepare themselves uh, for saying goodbye. If their show is still airing. Yeah, it would be nice because you don't want to hold on and think, Oh, I can't wait to see my, where my show ends up on the schedule on the day of upfronts only to find out it had been canceled. It won't be on the schedule. That'd be very mean. And because, because we're talking about a network here that usually announces all of its renewals early, it doesn't usually give out early renewals. Occasionally, the Arrowverse shows will be an exception. But the CW Birdie traffics in early renewals, it just announces all of the renewals early. So the fact that this year they've done a heap of early renewals and clearly some of the more like consistent, regular procedural stuff isn't part of that. People are worried about it because like shows like Legends, Batwoman, Dynasty, it's all of the CW is kind of like bread and butter, what kind of stuff you'd associate with the network. And the fact that newer shows like Superman at Lois and Kung Fu pipped them to the post in the early renewals, it's understandably left up a lot of people upset. It, but it's, it's important to remember here that that doesn't mean that they're not going to get renewed. The network's just taken a different approach this year. While I do think a lot more shows are in jeopardy than typical, it doesn't mean that those specific ones are anything eh, like they'll not make it. But for upfronts, we would like to know. I would just like to throw it out there that as of this week, Dynasty is no longer the least watched show on the network. So <laughs> take that. This is, this is very true. <laughs> oh, but that also means that Riverdale's getting dragged because they got renewed and this more stable shows have not yet. Yeah, it's fine. Look, 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 you should not put one of your tentpoles up against uh, the Grammys, the Oscars at WrestleMania. It's a stupid idea. People will be watching the big event, one time only events. So those ratings do not surprise me. I do think Riverdale's on its way out, but I still think there's a little bit of life left in it yet, hence the renewal. There is, but these actors are ready to bounce. And you know, can't blame them. 
Um, so the, a future without Riverdale is possible in two years. I mean, for the haters, they're going to rejoice. For those of us that love the show, you know, um, we'll miss it as long as they don't extend it past its shelf life. Um, <laughs> but moving on to um, some feelings about Superman and Lois in terms of news that dropped from Todd Halberg himself about them finally answering the Supergirl question for that show. Like, yes, we waited two seasons. Yeah, I feel like I was going to say it's time. But let's be honest, the time has come long ago. I'm probably gone at this point. Uh, people have wanted to know when Superman and Lois is going to acknowledge the Arrowverse properly. Now, don't get me wrong. In the last two years, it has acknowledged it in a more subtle kind of way. The John Henry Irons arriving from his Earth as the massive red wave wipes out his own Earth. That's clearly a reference to crisis without actually calling it crisis. Uh, the fact that John Diggle showed up and literally talked about Oliver Queen. That's a pretty obvious reference to the Arrowverse. But all, off all the issues here, people want a reference to Supergirl. And as a fan of Supergirl, I can 100% understand that because Superman at Lois would not be on the air without Supergirl. It's the same version of Superman and Lois that we met in Supergirl. Yes, maybe Crisis rewrote their story a little bit. But to take that one step further, it's the same version of Lucy Lane we met in Supergirl. Yes, Crisis rewrote her story a little bit, but these actors would not be in these roles if it weren't for Supergirl. So I do understand that it's long overdue. The time is now to reference a reference Supergirl. And I hope it's not just a reference to the wider Arrowverse because they, they're limited in what they can talk about now that Supergirl's over. But literally it bugs me something serious, like the last episode, for example, when uh, Superman is off, off world and they're talking about, oh, look at John Henry Irons saving the dead. Do we have a new man of steel? And you're like, there is literally another Kryptonian hero out there who could do his job for him, but nobody can talk about Supergirl. So it's, it's long overdue. I literally a text saying that Kara and Jean are off world would literally solve the problem. The Flash did the same thing when Alex Danvers popped up. She said Kara and Jean are off world. Why not do that? I just feel like I know that I know going there once will mean they'll have to go there again. But I think it's a great idea that they're finally going to acknowledge why they're not talking about the Flash, Supergirl, Batwoman, because these those heroes are out there saving the day. And I know that hero realistic heroes like the Green Arrow and Batwoman cannot do the same kind of jobs that Superman and Supergirl and the Flash can do because they have superpowers. So maybe you don't need to reference those ones. But like literally these heroes could solve problems that Superman faces on a daily basis. And the fact that the show isn't addressing that when it's set in the same world, the, the world that gave it its own life is a little disrespectful. So I would like to see them reference it. They don't have to go all in. I like the fact that Superman and Lois is a separate Arrowverse show, but it is an Arrowverse show. So an acknowledgement here or there would be nice. So long story short, it's long overdue and I can't wait to see how they acknowledge it. I feel the same. Um, mainly because, like, see, I'm not even, it doesn't matter to me that he hasn't, they haven't mentioned the other Airbrush shows. It sticks in my craw that they haven't mentioned Kara. And the reason is because in season one, there was a lot of talk about how isolated Clark has felt as the only Kryptonian. And yes, of course, that plays into his story with his brother, Tao. I'm like, his cousin is literally right there. It's a similar story to how Supergirl felt prior to, you know, Clark arriving and him being older. So why aren't we, I get not mentioning his cousin if he doesn't know her, but can we speed up the train of him getting to know her, even if she never appears, just to know that she exists. And so that one day we might have a storyline where he attempts to go find her. 
I just, I just really don't see how you can do spend so much time talking about Clark and in Kara's relationship and Supergirl and then completely dismiss it. And as other show, like I, I get um, how crisis could have erased that bond, but it was an important bond in her show. Mm-hmm. The fact that it's not treated the same way on his show is irksome. What if he just texts her like, hey, can you help? And she replies, sorry, busy, heart emoji. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be all for that. Um, it, it, just, it, it would be a nice acknowledgement. And while I do understand, they can hide behind the fact that crisis changed this. But let's not forget that the very last installment of Crisis on Infinite Earths after crisis happened, had Superman team up with Supergirl and all the heroes of the Arrowverse. So post-crisis, Clark and Kara does exist. So they can't say now crisis erased all that when they literally fought together after the crisis happened. It just, and literally in that episode, Lois said, I, Clark, I need you to come home and look after the boys. And he's all like the boys, which was a clear reference to the fact that crisis changed their story because pre-crisis Lois and Clark had a baby child. Whereas now they have two uh, teenage sons. So crisis changed all that. That's fine. But like, Kara and Clark did exist post-crisis, so I hope that they don't try to erase it from existence, especially now that they're doing that comic series, which will bring all the heroes together through it. I know Supergirl's not involved in that, but the less said about that, the better. But the fact is, the comic series will acknowledge that Superman and Lois is part of the Arrowverse. The reason that comic series exists is to bring Stargirl into the Arrowverse. But before we jump that horse or jump that shark, can we literally go and bring Superman back into the Arrowverse? Because it's been too long now, and he liter- his cousin is literally there. And like you said, Morgan Edge or Tal Rowe, I know we love him, but literally all he said is, my life is so lonely because I grew up on Krypton and now Krypton's gone. And I know Superman didn't understand that story because he was a child when he left Krypton. But Kara understood that story because she was an adult on Krypton when it exploded. So literally Morgan Edge's whole arc could have been negated by the inclusion of Kara. And the fact that they haven't even referenced it yet is very annoying so I hope they do, and I hope they do it justice, because Superman and Lois does everything justice. It's about time that they deal with the one thing they didn't, and that's Supergirl. Mm-hmm. You don't have to say we love Tauro, because we we all know it's just me. <laughs> I oh, like you two do. Like, you I two do. do. Like I am, I'm the one over here who's like, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Kara uh, was an adult. I thought she was a child. I think well, I thought she was. Well, let me think. Now, hold on. Like, what am re- I missing? They, they did, did a they recast. Ring? They did a recast, but yes, but okay, both of the actresses were teenagers. So yes, excuse me. So she did have like a strong enough bond to Krypton. She had what, 12, 15 years memories worth of Krypton, whereas Clark had none because he was a baby. But like that's basically as many years as Morgan Edge did because didn't he come mm-hmm. to Earth when he was a teenager as well? So him yes. and Kara, Kara have the exact same relation or experience of Krypton. So him being like, I lost my planet, I'm going to destroy this one, could literally have been negated by Kara saying, I lost my planet, but I'm going to save this one. I, I know that would have negated the reason for a season long story, but it would have been nice to see her perspective because she literally lived the same existence that he did of seeing Krypton as a, as a child disappear but she decided to do something good with it. I know that would have taken over Superman and Lois' story, but the very least they could have done is acknowledge the fact that my cousin knows how you feel, but she didn't go down that route. True, especially, you know, I could have that whole conversation in Tal's um, Fortress of Solitude. Just real quick, especially because he already came to the same, not the same conclusion, but uh, Clark already handled that part. So if Kara wanted to be like, so I heard what you did, 
And your sob story is my sob story. So I'm not gelling with the decision to try to, to uh, destroy the earth. I don't know. Exactly. They can do it. They can write it. Bring Kara to Superman and Lois. I think before the show ends, it has to do it at least once. If they don't want to reference the history, don't reference the history. But just Supergirl's later seasons were very limited in what they could do. The CGI wasn't great. Some of the storylines weren't great. Just to see Melissa Benoist, who will forever be the definitive Supergirl, get that treatment that Superman does in Superman and Lois, even if it's just for one episode, she deserves that. And I would really like to see them do it at some point in the shows. I think it'll run probably five seasons. I would like to see it that at some point. Yeah. And then to circle back to the other part of Todd's statement, he said the Flash. Um, the Superman and Lois season two, I don't know if it's finale or just he's meant the end of the season, um, will answer some things about the Flash as well. And it's like, is this because Bitsy wants to work with Candace again? We want to do Lois Lane in uh, Iris West at some point since... Both shows have been renewed, so season three of Superman and Lola, season nine of The Flash might see a investigator duo together. That, to me, is the most exciting part of that, uh, because it was lovely to see uh, Bitsy and Candace work together in Crisis. The only issue is none; it, there wasn't an awful lot of reporting involved, and I would love to see them team up for a reporting storyline, since they're both reporters, and... I think that would be fantastic. I would love to see the two of them do that because they're both so great in those roles. They, to me, are now the definitive versions of both of those characters. And just Lois and Iris teaming up would be just amazing. But also, I know Grant is a major Superman fan and he got to some scenes with Tyler in the crossovers. But I really would just love to see a Superman Flash crossover because, like I said, though their powers are not the same, but they can do some of the same things. So I... The Flash is now what Arrow was in that he's like he's like the forefather, founding father of that universe. I know uh, Green Arrow will always be that, but The Flash is the longest one on screen and Superman at Lois is the most successful show in that world right now. I feel like it's inevitable that they're going to bring them together and I would like to see it just once, especially I would love to see what The Flash could do on Superman at Lois's budget. Sorry, I'm going to say it. I just really would love to see that. Same with Supergirl. That's funny. <laughs> I was like, yes, shade. Um, uh, I, I too would love to see what the Flash can do on Superman and Lois's budget. Like, to be, everyone should have Superman and Lois's budget. It just seems a little, not unfair because they deserve it, but good God, the Arrowverse could really benefit <laughs> from that. Um, so, so speaking of Superman and Lois, uh, we are excited for Bizarre World and what it could bring to our lives. Um, I'm most excited for Lana Lang as, I guess that universe is Superwoman. Mm, yes, that was interesting. We saw that, we saw a glimpse of that in one of the previous episodes and like Bizarro's like brief flashback. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do. Look, we, it's well established at this point. We all, we're all Lana stands. And the more the more screen time of her, the better. And there's still that whole arc they haven't explored. I don't know if she'll ever find out what Clark can do, who he is, whatever. I, I hope to see that someday. But they've obviously, my the reason we love Lana is because she's been kept to the very realistic side of Superman and Lois. She is the more like grounded storylines. And I cannot wait to say forget it a little bit into the action in like the most unusual way. Lana's such a realistic, authentic character. I can't wait to see them go the whole comic book route with her in the bizarro world and just to see what that's like. Because if she's going to stay realistic and I kind of hope she does, it would just be nice just to like for one episode, see what she could be like in the more supernatural, uh, super powered area of the show. So 
that I cannot wait. The aesthetic of that episode looks amazing. But I think the thing I'm most excited about is to see Lana with superpowers again. But wait, isn't it canon for Lana to find out about Clark? Yes and no. The the, the art it, it, it's different in multiple stories. But yeah, I think Endgame that will happen. That should happen, especially since they've really. I know a lot of people when they found out Lana was coming into it, they were like, "Oh God, I hope we're not doing a love triangle." And they've thankfully stayed away from that. I know we said that would be one of our fears on the show because we don't want them to go there. But Clark and Lana have such a beautiful friendship that it feels like they can talk about each other's other halves without ever in a like jealousy kind of like, you get me better than they do, let's have an affair kind of kind of way. I'm glad that whole like base layer of drama is not there. It's such an authentic friendship. And I feel like in order to take that friendship to the next level, she's going to have to find out at some point. I hope she does. Because yeah, doesn't in Smallville, he tells, he shows Lana everything but it takes a long time. I didn't want to say that, but yeah, you said that. Um, I, rem- I binged that Smallville. poor girl. <laughs> I binged Smallville and I was like, how long is this taking? Not more conflict, not more obstacles. I cannot imagine what that must have been like to watch on TV on a weekly basis. I'm not going to say how many, how long it takes in general because I know... Is season you- five? I'll say it. <laughs> Thank you for just undercutting my point. <laughs> Hey, there I caught go. out Sabrina last week. I'll, you know, <laughs> I'm not afraid. <laughs> uh, go for it. Yes, I bl- I think that is correct. I haven't. I don't know. I'm only on season second. three, so. <laughs> yes, I'm going, I'm going to keep it mysterious to keep the surprises alive for you. But yes, let's just say it's not today or tomorrow, especially if you're on season three. It's not today or tomorrow. She'll find out um, that they overdid that something seriously. And I hope Superman at Lois doesn't do it. They have such a beautiful friendship on Superman and Lois, but I feel like in order for it to reach its true authentic self, she's going to have to find out at some point, especially since they had those moments where like Lana was like, oh my God, Superman's in Smallville. It would be nice to see them make that transition to be like, oh my God, Superman's my best day. Yeah, but at least it's not like every episode they're teasing her. Like in Mm -hmm. Smallville, it was like Lana was like seconds away from finding out the truth because she was like, what's all this weird stuff happening? Why is my best friend (laughs) acting weird? And then she would just like go back to serving coffee at her business at 17 years old. <laughs> I'm loving this whole conversation because I remember Jack all about Smallville um, before <laughs> Lois Lane arrived. And like Michael's trying to keep it mysterious and Rita's like, screw that. I'm like, it's like, a 20 year old show. Them. If you haven't seen it, you're not going to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> or at least I know preparing someone for the long haul, though, is an excellent decision. Like, because especially like, oh, she's going to find out like, no, she is not. <laughs> and no. they're like will they or won't they isn't e- is like as equally of a slow burn it's like they that's another thing they toy with but this is neither here nor there with superman and lois <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no and i think in uh, smallville they did such a good job making lana and clark love interests that it was hard to see them as anything but which is why the will they won't they thing go on for so long on the other end of the coin superman and lois has done such a phenomenal job of making them friends so much so that you never ask that yes we saw that beautiful flashback episode where clark was heartbroken that lana had moved on but it didn't come up Again, it didn't get in the way again. And they have probably my favorite friendship on the show. Although I will say Lana and Lois's friendship is just like this season has just been amazing. I love that so much because we have talked in the past how sometimes the Arrowverse struggle to do female friendships. That is not one of those occasions. That's phenomenal. And, but back to Clark and Lana, I feel like that friendship is so strong right now. 
at some point she has to find out to take it to the next level. But I'm excited to see this Lana know the whole story in this world and this Lana to be super herself. I can't wait to see what happens with that. If we're defining the future, though, then I would think if it doesn't happen this season, it'll happen in season three because she's now the mayor. Mm. Um, and so I feel like that is going to come into some major play for the Kent family, especially with like the XK situation ramping up. Like, uh, like their son is involved in all this and now she's the mayor of the town, which means she's going to be read into everything that's happening with that situation between the DOD and other federal agencies. How messy is it going to get before they're just like, look. Um, we have something to share with you and we need you to shield our family because of this. The one thing I'm, I hope they don't do or I am least looking forward to seeing is Lana being angry with Clark. I don't want to mm-hmm. see that. You kept this secret mm-hmm. from me. You lied to me. If they do that, please keep it under like a scene. Like I can't, <laughs> that drives me nuts because I feel like in real life if my best friend was like, I'm Superman, I'd be like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy and I'd be like I understand like your job is dangerous thank you for not telling me because I probably couldn't have mentally handled that yeah that's like how real people react I hope and Superman and Lois has done such a real job so far I hope it keeps it up especially the fact that Clark and Lois lived in Metropolis for 20 years like he's just back in Smallville in the grand scheme of things if he needed a year before he worked up the courage to tell Lana like take that year all you want like I do understand they've done such a great job with the friendship, but we also need to acknowledge the fact they weren't in each other's lives for such a long time. It would be okay if he didn't want to share that secret with her then. And it would also be okay if he wanted to take a little time before he told her. I feel like the segue into him, her finding out might be Sarah finding out about Jordan. I don't mm-hmm. know, maybe, because that's one we can confirm will happen at some point, especially now that she's they've done the, they've gone the whole Smallville route with that. You're keeping secrets from me. We can't be together. So the only way around that is to tell her the truth. And don't most of these seasons like to take a full year, tell a story across a year. And Clark did tell Jordan that he's got a year before he can tell her. So I feel like that's probably how the season's going to end. Oh, but that means that it, she's going to be mad. See, yeah. that's the thing you should be concerned about, Reed, not Lana. Sarah being oh, mad for like three she's episodes. Mad about everything. I know. I know, but it'd be just another thing on the plate that we have to digest. And I mean, yeah, like if she was mad about him not showing up for was it the party, the mayor party? Yeah, is that mm-hmm. what she was mad about? Oh, my God, she's gonna hit the ceiling about this. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I think Lana will be more understanding because Clark and Lana, look, they had a lot on the burners. They got a lot going on. Like, yeah, she's got a separation. Like, she couldn't handle also like my BFF as a superhero. Like. I hope she like is like, thank you. Like <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't have dealt with that. <laughs> For sure. I definitely think that's gonna be what happens, especially because they aren't going a route of route, route of flirting with um Clark and um Lana. And they're never gonna touch that apparently, which I'm so happy that that was confirmed. Yeah, they're um, like brothers and sister, they're brother and sister. Mm-hmm. And not in like a oh, you friend zoned me way. It's just like a natural thing. I don't get sibling from them, but I do get the well, friendship. I mean, okay, well, I just each their own. I don't, but um, I do think that it's just great that when she does find out, she's gonna be like, Oh, I'm so sorry that that like, you felt like you couldn't tell nobody. Like, I, I don't think we'll empathy. Go, I think, we'll yeah, empathy. not going back to when we were 16 and you didn't tell me and we could have been together and blah blah blah. Like, even though we're <laughs> in our 40s and we should not be having this conversation, like, I'm so he's, sure he's still doing that present person in everybody's life as much as he can be he's not like dropping the ball on his relationships 
-hmm. like he's really good at being superman and football dad and husband and best friend i should take notes because <laughs> can be a jack of all trades and still you know be able to do everything right, so speaking of doing the most um the flash feelings michael mm. i feel like it's so predictable for me to start every single one of my flash breakdowns with i mixed about that but <laughs> i mixed about that there was a lot of good in that episode but the episode wasn't executed in a way to highlight said good. Mm -hmm. It felt very like a going through the motions kind of episode for me. It wasn't bad. And a lot of the stuff it did, it did stronger than some of the corny episodes in recent weeks. But it also didn't do them well. It just felt like it did them. And that was it. I said my biggest issue with the presentation of Killer Frost is that she's treated like a child and that she's not treated like the woman that she is. And here we are, four seasons into Killer Frost being on Team Flash, and they're still treating her like a child. I'm not really fussed on the whole, like, millennial kind of, like, I'm a grown woman, but acting like a teenager kind of vibe that are going for a presentation with the long artistic shirts of her making art. I'd care more about that story if they gave it more time. But right now, the only thing they get right with Killer Frost is when she's in costume with the amazing contact lenses pushing ice out of her hands. And I want more from her than that. And the reason this episode bothered me so much is she wasn't even in the outfit this week. This was a very like no tights, no flights kind of episode and that they did a lot of character work. But by doing a lot of character work, it highlighted the issues with the characters they've had long term in the first place. I like Caitlin and Killer Frost drama. I don't like that version of Caitlin and Killer Frost drama. She, basically, she wanted to find the blue flame because it was, a, or the black flame because it was attracted to her blue frosty energy. And that made sense. But there was an awful lot of complicated stuff. Also, the fact they brought Caitlin's mother into it to help deal with it. And then Caitlin wasn't there for the first half of it. The balance was wrong for me. I did like in the end that Caitlin, her mom, and Frost all grew together. Susan Walters, who's appeared in Teen Wolf, The Vampire Diaries. There are other dramas I'm blanking on. I love that woman. She can act in a 40-minute episode better than most people can in a whole series. I love it. She had a lot of stuff to work with in that episode. And what she did as Caitlin's mom was great, particularly since that was a frosty character. And no, I'm not talking about pushing ice out of her hands kind of frosty. That was a frosty character in the past. They did some great character work with her. I love the stuff with Caitlin and her family when it's done right. This was hit and miss for me. But I, I sound like I don't like Caitlin and I don't like Frost. I do love Danielle Panabaker and she was one of my favorite actors and characters in season one. But they always make both their characters feel like they're going through the motions. And I want more than that. Caitlin's, uh, Caitlin's concern over Frost was great. That's absolutely great. As I know you said, Sabrina, that that's like how a big sister should act. That was nice and authentic stuff. But it led to another argument and all those two characters seem to do is argue with each other. And I want more than that from them. I'm happy with how it ended. I thought the last five minutes of the episode were great. The family moments between Frost, Caitlin and the, their mom now was lovely. The, I don't, I, I'm not, I don't love Iris's time sickness story. 
because I feel like it's not progressing quick enough. And I don't want another story where Iris is a damsel in distress in a supernatural story. I want Iris out there reporting. And even though we kind of got that in this episode, it never felt like it carried the sticks that it should have because it was only given like three scenes in a 40 minute episode. We need more than that. But I will say I did appreciate the West Allen scene at the start, seeing Barry and Iris (laughs) together. Seeing Barry and Iris together was wonderful. But I do have an issue. I saw the writers at work in that they were like, Iris can't leave Coast City. Why? Because this sickness she has will get worse the more she moves, so she can't go back home with an open a breach and take her there. It's just, and, and I, the reason it gets to me is I know Candace Patton will not be filming some of the episodes towards the finale, which means that they're separating Barry and Iris when she is on screen so that she won't be on screen in a few episodes down the line. And I'm not one of these crazy stands that's like, they have to be together 24-7. I just feel like it's obvious you're coming up with multiple reasons to separate them at this point. And I'm like, if you can't give Iris a decent report and storyline in Central City, we really need to be wondering about what your writing team's doing here. But that was an awful lot of criticism. I'd give the episode about a seven. It was fine. It just went through a lot of the motions that I hate about The Flash. I don't think it was... It wasn't as worse than an offender as some of the recent episodes, but it could have been so much better because I know what the Flash is capable of. It was fine. I think we're moving in the right direction with the Caitlin and Killer Frost story. I'm so excited about the fact that Ronnie's coming back because I really championed Caitlin and Ronnie and I feel like Caitlin's been lost for a story without Ronnie and I've missed Robbie Amell on the show. I'm interested to see if the Black Flame, this grief monster we've talked about, really is Ronnie or if it's just doing the whole grief thing appear, appealing to Caitlin and taking the form of Ronnie. But I think he's in more than one episode, so I can't wait to see what it does with him. I think that'll add a whole, another layer to the story because I do feel like we're going around in circles with it and you shouldn't feel like that with the big bad this early into the story. But the Black going, Flame, that thing you tweeted? Yes, I think it is, yes. Oh, okay. um, I was expecting like... The Black Flame from Hocus Pocus. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically, I, I feel like it's, I, it's summed up on the surface. It's literally a black flame, but when it gets passionate, it turns into like a skull of black flame. It looks like venom. It does. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. It's just like this levitating skull. Um, and now it's drawn towards Ronnie or Caitlin, and apparently it's going to be Ronnie. But uh, I'm excited about where it's going. It's just taking a little while to get there. And while every episode is good, I'm probably being too hard on the show because I know the show's capable of greatness. So I'll give it a seven and be nice. That is very and generous it, based on what I listen to. <laughs> exactly. But speaking of going around in circles, I'm going to stop doing that. And I know there's a whole arc I haven't touched and I don't want anyone to get the wrong idea and that I'm not excited about it because I am. But I know Sabrina is even more excited about it. So please, 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 I will let you do it better justice and take the floor. And let's talk about Iris doing a Thanos. Yeah, okay, yes, yes. So to backtrack a little bit, I'm always um more hard on the the flash than Michael is. So if he'd give the episode a seven, I'd give it a six. I'd give it more of a seven, you know, if Iris's arc had been an actual arc in in the episode. But my girl dusted an entire person. Like that woman is gone. Like did it by accident. It was unprovoked and she didn't even realize she did it. But Killed? she turned into green dust, like slowly. It was like the snap. Oh. Mind you, mind you, Reed. Wait, who did this? Iris, by accident. It's part of the time sickness. Oh, I didn't know she had powers. I thought she was just a journalist. <laughs> well, yeah, well. 
Wow. We will unpack that in a moment. <laughs> we don't have to get into it. <laughs> I'm starting at zero knowledge, so we don't have to go there. <laughs> okay. Well, she has, we'll just say she has a spark of the speed force in her. Um, oh, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, so she dusted someone after uh, Tinya met her mom, who had this wonderful cry story about how she gave her up for adoption when she was a teenager because her parents forced her to because she was so young and she's regretted that decision her entire life. And she's always hoped that Tinya um, was able to have a good life without her. That's not what happened with Tinya, unfortunately. I believe she grew up in the system and was bounced from place to place and always felt like her mom um, didn't want her. Oh, and then she finds out her mom did want her. And then two seconds later, she, that same woman, when Iris has like a, a really bad like migraine-esque reaction to what's going on with her time sickness, she touches Iris's arm and then she immediately disintegrates into green light. So trauma, trauma everywhere. Um, and then they, they just bounce you over to what's happening with Caitlin. And I was like, I'm sorry. I no longer care about what's happening with, with Ronnie. I guess Iris just hit delete on a person and did it by accident. <laughs> and she didn't even know what was going on. Um, so that's where my head was at at the end of the episode. Prior to that, I had mixed feelings about the whole Snow family situation, mainly because I feel like they just led us into the Caitlin's thought of, of um, her mom also being Frost's mom. I feel like that wasn't a conversation we had previously. So for her to be like, you're putting your daughter in danger. Like, Did she ever see her as her daughter? This is a new conversation for me, but I'll roll with it. Also, I think the weak part of the episode was that clearly Barry didn't need to be there. But they had to have him there, like you pointed out, Michael, because he and Iris need to be separated. But he spent the whole episode being told how he could lead and then no one listening to him. And he's frustrated with the whole team flash. And then Joe has to sit on the couch to be like, it's because you need to be with your wife, but you're here. You're the one who left her in Coast City. Now you're in your feelings about it. And I was like, preach, Joe. But also, he can't go to Coast City because we can see the writing and therefore he has to stay in Central City. Though, to be fair, Iris, he was like, I'm going to pack up my bag and I'll be right back. And Iris is like, no, 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 I got this. You handle the team because of the Black Flame. And I was like, girl, he would literally let people die for you. I feel like this would not be a bare reaction, but I'm just going to agree with both of you and be like, yeah, you're so cute. Be separated, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, and to say on your point about seeing the writing, I do agree. And that, that was bothersome for me because it felt like an awful lot was done in a kind of clever metaphorical way, except it wasn't done in that clever at all. Because I was like, here comes the metaphor, here comes the metaphor. And lo and behold, here came the metaphor. It was like, uh, Barry was getting so frustrated because Team Flash weren't listening to him. And I was like, where do you see they're going to compare this to? He's really feeling mean or he's feeling really feeling sad about what's going on with Iris. Lo and behold, Joe pops and says, is this really what this is about? And I'm like, yes, the man is getting frustrated that his whole team won't listen to him. But they had to that. make it about they had to make it about what was going on with Iris. And I do get Twice. it about what's going on with Iris. I do get that. <laughs> but they're like not I was counting. <laughs> <laughs> I do get that. But they're not portraying it in that way. He's like, I need to be with you, Irish. He's like, I'll go back to Central City. Fine, let's go. Doesn't talk about her again for the rest of the episode. But everybody else tells him how he's feeling about it. Didn't like that. 
didn't like that in Slayers. Don't get me wrong. I'm the biggest Barry and Irish shepherd in the world. But like, let them feel their own feelings instead of letting the rest of the characters around them tell them how they're feeling. Stop using these clever metaphors for storylines that have nothing to do with them to kind of get across how they're feeling. I, I, I That's a fantastic device. But in that episode, it was not clear. And, and it was clunky. Yeah, it was very clunky, very clunky. And like you said, they felt the need to do it not once, but twice. And like Joe comes in as a source of wisdom and nine times out of 10, no, 10 times out of 10, the scenes are phenomenal. But I felt like that was the rare example where the writing behind it wasn't really there. And they were just relying on Joe's incredible ability to do a pep talk, to do the work for us instead of letting the writing do the work. Yes, they were doing a lot of um, telling and not showing, which is what what brings the episode down for me. Not not in the snow storyline. I feel like they were very strong in terms of how they wanted that whole situation with them to afford. But in terms of Barry Irish and like the team, the the fact that Allegra was like, you know, you don't have to be here, right? You could go to Coast City and take care of Iris. And I was like, why are you the one telling him that? Like, obviously, he knows that he could be in um in coast city if he wanted to but his wife told him to come back to central city and i think that rubbed me a little wrong um because it just felt it just felt like something she wouldn't say to him as like, why are you giving him permission to go to coast city he just didn't feel like a leader this episode even though they kept telling him that he was um it was just it was just odd it was really really odd um and they did the thing that they did last episode where uh so in a previous episode, Barry had already decided, came up with uh, the solution to the situation, and but they weren't on board with it, and so and so and the, they took I think twenty minutes of the episode for them to finally get on board with it through them coming to the same conclusion as he did. And in this case, he was like, in, in this episode, he was like, "It's not really going to work. This isn't really something that we should be doing. It's dangerous, and for what?" And then, lo and behold, they figured everything that they were supposed to do out and it didn't work because it was too dangerous. And he was right the entire time. He said it wouldn't work. And what happened? It didn't work. Yeah. And the, I love, like I said, I will watch Susan Walters and anything phenomenal actor. And I really enjoyed Carla's uh, work. But the thing is, I felt like that was not the right storyline to unveil the fact, oh, look, I have ice powers too. That was a good thread about three or four seasons ago. And they just kind of pulled it in an episode, finally pulled it in an episode that was all about going through the motions. And then it didn't work in the end. And we were left at the end of the episode thinking, okay, but what was that episode actually about? Because I'm glad Frost learned a lesson, but like four seasons into her being a member on Team Flash, when they're consistently treated like a kid who needs to learn lessons, I don't think Frost learning another lesson is, is enough to justify a whole 40 minute episode that ultimately accomplished nothing. Exactly. It's but to speak on that, not for Frost, but for Iris in terms of things that they went back into the bag to, to bring before us. That I loved that she got to tell Tinya about her mom. But mm-hmm. um fans were pointing out, like, why didn't you do that back when that was relevant to Iris's story? Because they did a little bit of it and then it kind of just bumped her past as if she didn't find out um that one, her mom didn't die, her dad lied to her, and that her mom was an addict, and that she also went on and raised her her brother. Um, and she didn't even know she had a sibling. And then she finds this all um, within a few episodes and that woman is dying and she dies the next episode, I think. Uh, and they were like, that's so sad. Let's spend a few minutes on it and then we're going to move you past if you didn't just lose your mom. And now in season eight, she's talking about that trauma, which I, I'm glad that she got to talk about it. I just wish she would get a whole episode 
the same way that Chester got an episode and Barry, I guess, would have got half an episode to, to deal with his. Actually, Chester got two episodes um, this mm-hmm. season and then last season. So can we go back in the time vault and help Iris deal with her mama trauma? <laughs> yeah, I feel like on just to round this out, that's a good point because I feel like the issue that they've done with Iris long-term is kind of my issue with Barry in this episode. And then Iris has been on screen an awful lot of the flash is on, not necessarily in the right storyline. They haven't given her what she deserves and she's been, she's been stuck in a lot of plots by the numbers. Whereas there could have been some great character moments like her dealing with the loss of her mother, that maybe the guilt she felt about not seeing her early enough, or maybe the understanding why she didn't see her for so long. There's just, there's so many layers to that. And that's a rich story they could have dealt with. And it's the same situation here with Barry in this episode in that I am, biggest Grant Gustin fan you'll find. Um, I also, but we've talked recently, I'm not this like crazy superhero fan. It's like, oh, if they're not in the right fits, it's a crappy episode. I'm not like that in the slightest, but I feel like Barry had no role in this episode. And yet he was like the third main character in it, which is great for a Grant Gustin fan. He was the third main character in it. He was on screen an awful lot, but he had nothing to do in that he was going through a plot by the numbers. And that's exactly my issue with how to portray Iris over the years. She's on screen an awful lot, says an awful lot, but something that she she could be doing so much more. That's not a slight on Candace Patton and it's not a slight on the Iris character. It's just telling the writers, please give her more worthwhile stuff. Because like in this episode, she was going through the plot by the numbers. And then that moment stood out beautifully. Where's, where's this been all along? Give her more stuff like that. Hey, tweet. For sure. <laughs> so yeah, all in all, decent episode of The Flash, but could have been so much better yeah i would like to travel back in time a little bit and talk about dynasty because fallon had another really great moment first of all in episode season five episode six um they resolve the evil doppelganger storyline in a really perfect like soap opera way i won't spoil it for anybody but blake finally is like (laughs) wait a minute (laughs) that's not my wife Maybe I will spoil it. They have this whole moment where he's like, tell me something only the real crystal would know. <laughs> and they have like this three minute like face off where they're each like spitting these facts. And he's like, he does, he's like, I don't know which one. Perfect moment. Perfect soap opera moment. Um, but back to Fallon, she has this another really good growth moment where she decides she wants one of her old businesses back from season one that she had, I think, sold who can keep up with what she does with her businesses. Um, And she comes to find out that her rival Patty from, we'll remember her from the, um, the last time I talked about her growth from the horse episode, (laughs) she realizes that Patty now owns that company by some twist of fate, AKA it's a soap opera. And she teams up with Jeff to steal the company back. And Jeff is like, I don't want to do this. And Fallon's like, well, too bad. We're doing it. And uh, they've come to find out that Patty's been, it's an energy business. So they're providing the city with energy. And they find out that um, they've been lying about what they're doing to make Atlanta more green. And they're harming certain neighborhoods. And it's um, uh, a very like Aaron Brockovich situation. Like they're, yeah, they're like um, poisoning the water or whatever. And, uh, or maybe that's not exactly what it was, but that's, that's the gist. Similar. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And Fallon then finds out that 
Patty has her own like father issues. She has her own father that she's trying to live up to, who is very controlling and she feels, you know, sympathy, maybe empathy, Fallon's. She doesn't really have empathy, but she's getting there. Um, she she's like, Jeff, we need to pull out. We need we can't do this. Like we can't destroy this whole girl's life because she has her daddy issues. And Jeff's like, but if you pull back on revealing, exposing what she's doing, you're harming the city. It's either the city or you're helping this girl. And Fallon's like, well, twist my arm. We have to do this. And then she still feels bad about destroying her rival, which is, I think, growth for Fallon. And she looked great doing it. They had, she they were at the gala where they had to dress up as endangered animals and Fallon went as a jellyfish. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like this extravagant designer gown and everyone else had like masks on for turtles and stuff. Um, but yeah, it was a great episode. I feel bad that you guys had a, another um, disappointing week with the flash and I'm just out here living it up with dynasty. <laughs> living your best life while we are like... Again, but I you did know, struggle with Sammy. Yeah, I did struggle with Sammy Joe's storyline, but you know, we're working through it. We're working through that one. It's 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 a mess from where it started and where it's going. I won't spoil that because I know you both are still in the early days and you've met Sammy Joe's parents. But all I will say is, buckle up. <laughs> oh, no. I will say, <laughs> I I always bring this up, but it's so interesting to me watching it. And like doing like sometimes you see like watching the first episode, watching the last episode, kind of like reactions on the internet. It, that's what this kind of feels like to me. Like watching early on in season one and then hearing about what's going on currently in season one. It's so jarring the conflict and the, con- <laughs> the contrast. Um, because where I am, I did a binge recently, and like where I am, like none of that makes sense to me. I'm like, how did you get from here to here? <laughs> I can't wait to get caught up and see how it goes on. Yeah, it's a lot. Okay, so um, I don't really want to leave Dynasty, but we have to, because um, I love living in that world with the Carringtons, more so Valen. I'm always more so here for Valen than anybody. Uh, but can we say that we're here for Riverdale? I feel like we're like, every time we watch, we're, we're like, oh, we're in it, like things are happening. And then like Monday rolls around and all of us are like, so that happened. I remember some of it, but it happened. Um, like last episode, with guys, the battle for the soul of the town. Yeah, guys, I'm I'm not feeling it. Mm-hmm. And you know I'm in the trenches with this show. I love it. I defend it. I will watch it till it's dying breath. Unless Roberto does a reboot and changes the entire cast, then I will happily jump ship. But for right now, like I am, there's nothing that could get me to stop watching this show. But I, I just can't. I don't know if I can defend it anymore, guys. Like this episode just took me so far out of it. I was like, I, I know the show's called Riverdale. I do not care about what's happening with this town. I don't know why they're always in a constant state of struggling for this town. Can't they just like do something else? And by they, I mean the writers. And there were so many for me in this episode, just so much clumsy writing. And I'm not one to ever... Um, dog the writing because I think I mean we get what we get right but I also think some of the dialogue is really funny and ridiculous and I know people trash it but I think it's that's part of the camp but in this one I just felt like there were so many threads that they that they just didn't put through the right needle And, and I think one of the most jarring ones for me was 
when they're at the like last town meeting and Jughead turns to Archie and is like, we need to have a talk about, is it Percival? Mm-hmm. And then we don't see that conversation. Mm-hmm. We just hear gotcha. Archie, we tell Archie, Archie tells Betty, oh, we think he's controlling minds. And it's like, okay, how did Jughead reach that? Con- I don't know. I just, I felt like there were so many conversations that happened off screen and we learned about the result in a different scene and it didn't feel as important as the scene that we didn't see. <laughs> That's what bothers me about Riverdale. I feel like in the last two or three seasons, the show has this reputation for being like boundary pushing, off the wall, extravagant. And yet I feel like the writing is completely going through the motions at, the, at this moment in time. It just does everything at a base level. And I started noticing this issues in like season four and it's, it's stuck with it ever since. It's just like, yes, they have to achieve something and they achieve it in the most basic of ways. So you're right. I noticed that as well about the Jughead and Archie conversation. I was like, yay, we finally get a scene between these two best friends who literally never interact anymore. And then we never got a scene between these two best friends who never interact anymore. And it's like, fair enough, give Betty and Archie a moment. But like, why did Betty need to be in that episode when she wasn't in it for that long? Like, it was a complete contrast to what we learned the time before. She was all like, I need to protect my friends from uh, the TBK and save us all from them, but I'm going to do it off screen. And then she's like, lol, JK, lost him. Um, is what it was, so what? He knows where I live. Like, is he not going to follow her right back to Riverdale? You know what I mean? I just feel like... Everything she comes back to Riverdale looking like Neo from the Matrix. And he's like, <laughs> I have really bad migraines. Turn the lights off. And then, I, I don't know. I was just like, now we're concerned about Betty and Light? Like, is she a vampire? I don't know. I was like... I think so. I think she's supposed to be. It's giving vampire, like you mentioned. I mean, I love the Barchi moment. I just feel like it probably could have been bumped to another episode. There was just so much serve. in that scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was, they overstuffed it. And I was like, I, at this point, I wish they, the episode was this instead of the entire, I hate when shows toward the end of their run, I'm really going to pop off right now, but they become so invested in like the community in the town, like Heart of Dixie did that. And I know I said positive vibes only for Heart of Dixie, but I'm dragged a little bit. And then like Gilmore Girls. And it's like, I don't care as much about the town as you think that we all do. We care about the characters and what they're doing. And it feels like they're just too, Archie's so like, we need to save this town. It's like, you care about it. I particularly am not interested in what's happening in this town or to the town. Like, there's just so much inside baseball about like local government and politics. And like, like I don't care. <laughs> well, yeah, because so the inciting factor of this whole town episode is uh, the hit piece, Percival Pickens says. But the whole thing, it's a hit piece for Riverdale, but there are no lies. In, in in that that write-up. It'd been different if Archie was upset because of something that Percy wrote about a specific person in town who's been contributing a lot to the community. But like him talking about y'all not caring about Sketch Alley, fact. Like the, uh, even though he should not be trying to bust homeless people out of Riverdale and send them to where, sir, what are you doing? But like the fact that um, there are two rampant gangs in town and you are best friends with one of them, Fact, like the, the it's a rundown town. You're doing nothing with it. He didn't say anything in in that write up that was not factual or incorrect. So Archie be like, "We're gonna take it outside. Take it outside for what? Mm-hmm. What are we taking it outside to do?" That's what I just don't understand. I did though like that they were creating houses for um for the unhoused, 
why in the parking lot of two businesses? I'm not sure. That doesn't feel just comfortable for anybody. Limited. It's just, it's, <laughs> they didn't want to spend more money Budget. on a different set. <laughs> um, there's no Sabrina knows I didn't appreciate Archie's outburst at Jughead early on in the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like this show, Archie has a big heart. He really does. And he's such a kind character. But I feel like over the show, over the course of the show's run, they have inadvertently written him as a very dim and stupid character as well. And that was not their intention. And this was an example of that. Jughead publishes a piece that someone wrote. This is how writing works there. Um, how someone wrote about the time with no lies in it. It was well vetted. It did everything it was supposed to. And yes, of course, we're supposed to hate Percival, but not because of the think piece that he wrote. And Archie comes in threatening violence for his best friend because he's read a piece in the newspaper he didn't like. Boo-hoo. It just, it felt like, let's create some conflict here for the sake of it. And like, as, as we all said, nothing in that piece was wrong. And to go up on Reed's point, I feel like the show has been all about, let's save Riverdale for years now. Guys, it's not working. Try something yeah, different. Why haven't we saved it? Exactly. It's combating against everything. I just think it. they feel like the only reason that these characters would be in Riverdale at this time in their life, maybe besides Archie and maybe Tony, is that they're here to help it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why Veronica's still there. That's why maybe Betty's still there. But that doesn't have to be the reason why they're all there still. You can be more creative and find another reason for these characters to be in this town at this point in their lives. It doesn't have to be about their town being on the brink of disaster in every episode i don't know i just i know riverdale has been uh for the entire series a very dark town and a very dark place but i don't think it needs to be where it is now Mm -hmm. i don't know did we know about sketch alley before this episode because i don't know if i really appreciate the term sketch alley (laughs) yeah so uh tony brings archie to uh sketch alley in the time jump episode I forget the reason why, but she does. And it's been there this entire time. So for Archie to suddenly, like, Archie suddenly cares. Like, Archie, you weren't doing anything for the homeless prior to that. No one was. There were no hot meals being brought. There were no um, community efforts to help any of these people. But suddenly we're concerned about PTSD and housing them. And um, because because Percy wants to bust them out of town. And Percy's wrong for that. But you didn't care prior to someone being like, I am just going to um, everything for everybody. And then you won't have to worry about being housed in, in, in Riverdale. And it's like, well, it didn't seem like the Riverdale people were worried about being housed. Um, before, so why do they care now? Going through the motions. <laughs> exactly. I, know, guys, I just really didn't love this episode. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep watching, obviously, <laughs> but I'm not always going to complain about it because I think that's just shouting into the void and the definition of insanity. But I don't know. This one yeah. didn't do it for me. I'm and excited to see what happens with Betty now. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's that. And then for me, it's um, whatever is going to the custody battle between. Uh, oh, my God. Well, <laughs> I didn't even talk about Kevin getting whacked by the hammer and then disappearing. <laughs> exactly. I, and then under mind control, I guess, for Percy. Well, it's like, what role can we have Kevin play next? We mentioned this before. And I think until Riverdale ends, I've just stopped expecting anything more from him because he's just going to get pointed in whatever direction the story needs him to go. Like I stopped expecting Kevin to be a real character. He was more of a real character when he was a guest character in season one. It's sad. It's sad. I mean, there's a lot of 
well, there could be a lot of meat for Casey to bite into in this next episode. I doubt they're going to give us Kevin's thoughts about how he walked out of baby Anthony's life. And now he wants to not only walk back in it, but take him from Tony and, and Fangs. Uh, but I just, this is not the storyline. Like I preferred something different. How do we get from hit by a hammer to, I want this baby that I didn't want before. Someone said um, when I was complaining about it, so a, a Kevin fan was like, it's Percival. I was like, oh, you know what? You're right. Thank you. It most likely because Percival does visit them in the hospital. So he most likely mind controlled both Kevin and does, his dad. But disrupting does, Tony. Also, wait, how long has Kevin been a cop? Uh, this episode. The episode before, exactly. <laughs> they're, they're, his father was like, Gee, Kevin, I hear you're not going to Broadway. Would you like to be my new deputy? <sighs> I'm so getting overheated. I'm getting overheated, guys. This episode is just, <laughs> like it, that's just so beyond what I expect. Well, I don't know. I want to hope I want to be hopeful and say that Kevin wouldn't be the kind of person that would be like, I want to be a cop for reasons that I'm not going to explicitly state on a podcast right now about the CW. But maybe it is like him to flip flop and like <laughs> just completely <laughs> toss out his morals for a, an opportunity for the moment. I don't know. It just feels like, so instead of teacher Kevin, when we got the time jump, it would have made more sense if he was just randomly a deputy when we meet him again. Mm-hmm. And then they could just hand wave it. Now like, it's like, but you're making a decision to become a deputy when you already have a job at the school. So what is, what's happening? They were all back at the school this week. I know. Wasn't I just complaining about that? I was like, what happened to them being teachers? And then they like, clockwork they were just back in the school yeah exactly he was like i guess they're back at the school i don't know anyway i love riverdale i don't want anybody to any riverdale fans out there to get that twisted i love it i'm just i'm not mad i'm just disappointed exactly i want better for it and like more no one expects sense from riverdale but there are certain things that have to connect and kevin becoming a deputy doesn't connect Especially when he doesn't really have like where's where's the thought pattern? Like where where is the just because he we needed him to be able to raid a place because he already raided Archie's house, didn't he? And he didn't need to be um a deputy. He just did it with with Betty. So and Sheriff Keller just does what he wants in Riverdale. So he doesn't right. actually need a son to be a deputy. I changed my mind. I want to complain about one more thing before we move on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I why is Alice dating Archie's uncle? Like, why is she always dating somebody related to who her daughter's dating in that current moment? Why does Alice (laughs) have to keep it in the family? It just makes my stomach feel weird. I don't know. I didn't realize we did that with Frank. I wasn't paying attention. Are they not dating? They're always together. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on a minute. Um, They had that scene, didn't they? Where she like made him, was that Rivervale? I can't remember. That was Rivervale. Oh yeah, she made him dinner and it got very like sensual and like double entendre. And like, I really want you. And he was like, well, let's hold on a minute with that. And then it never went anywhere. And I was like, okay. And now maybe they are together and they just haven't expanded that. Always in the same space at the same time. I don't know. I assumed maybe I'm wrong. I don't gladly. I wouldn't put it past them though. (laughs) I'll put my notes up, apology up on Twitter if I'm incorrect, but (laughs) it just, it made me feel weird when I realized that. And also he, he's kind of a boring character. He, I don't even think he spoke in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm trying to think, did he? He was always there and he just never opened his mouth. I was like, Okay. Uh, so that was not an intended roast, but 
that's where we landed. Not sorry, Riverdale, uh, <laughs> but do better. Uh, but we do have a toast because, you know, we always like to end on a positive note. And so we did a poll on our Twitter account and uh, to see which CW show should be renewed next. And Legends of Tomorrow came on top. Congrats, you guys. Uh, we have seen the hashtag Renew Legends of Tomorrow movement uh, just truly be out here strong. Um, so when I asked, you know, why should the show be renewed? What is so great about Legends of Tomorrow? Um, we got a comment that I really liked, and it's from Film Buff 05. And they said, it doesn't take itself too seriously, and yet it still has a lot of heart. It can make you cry one minute, and yet you have you, la- yet have you laughing two seconds later. Avalanche is the healthiest couple on TV, and the show itself has remained consistent in quality for years. And I like that. We got a little ship moment, got a little praise for the show. It's all good. I can retweet that. I completely agree <laughs> with everything they said. I feel like I love to see such love for Legends seven seasons in. I literally, this is how I, how I call the show. It's the CW's little show that could. Everyone has died at it since it began, and it has consistently defied the odds. And I'm up for toasting it any day of the week. And I love the fact that it's still performing so well in all these polls. I know I tweet about it and it always does very well. So I love the Legends fans. Keep fighting the good fight and hopefully we can fight it together past season eight. Yes. So CW, renew Legends of Tomorrow. Yes, retweet. And also Dynasty. (laughs) (laughs) And Batwoman. Yes. And All-American Homecoming. And Stargirl. There's so many to to put all of them. Renew all of them. (laughs) All right, so that is it for us this week. Thank you for tuning in. We will catch you next Monday. Uh, follow us on Twitter and on YouTube. We're the CW Spiral. I'm Sabrina. I'm Michael. And I'm Reed. Bye, y'all. Bye.